Tracy McCauley. I'm Nathan Wayne. And I'm Liz Wong. We are cardiology pharmacists, educators, and self-declared literature crusaders. And welcome to CardioScripts, a cardiology podcast brought to you in collaboration with the ACCP Cardiology Practice and Research Network. So today on CardioScripts, we are so excited to be joined by Dr. Ashley Shank. Dr. Shank received her Doctor of Pharmacy degree from the University of Nebraska Medical Center. She completed her PGY-1 pharmacy residency at St. Joseph East in Lexington, Kentucky, and went on to complete a PGY-2 cardiology pharmacy residency at UK Healthcare in Lexington. Since completion of residency, she has practiced as a cardiology clinical pharmacist at UK Healthcare, where she provides pharmaceutical care to medical cardiology patients in the cardiac ICU and step-down units. Dr. Shank is actively engaged in both teaching and precepting activities, including precepting pharmacy residents and students on clinical rotations, and leading didactic therapeutic lectures at the UK College of Pharmacy as an assistant adjunct professor. We're so excited to have her on with everything going on with her busy schedule. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ashley. Thanks for having me on again. And so today we're kind of shifting gears from what we talked about with her in the last episode to dual antiplatelet therapy and specifically talking about the master DAP trial. So the master DAP trial was presented at the ESC 2021 meeting and simultaneously published in the New England Journal of Medicine in August of 2021. And the purpose of this trial was to assess ischemic and bleeding outcomes in high-risk bleed patients receiving one month of dual antiplatelet therapy, or DAPT, versus a longer course of DAPT, about six months. This was a multi-center, randomized, open-label, non-inferiority trial. Patients were included if they had had an acute or chronic coronary syndrome, had undergone successful PCI for one or more coronary artery stenoses with implantation of a biodegradable polymer serolimus eluting stent, also known as the Ultimaster. Patients also had to meet one or more of the criteria for high bleeding risk. In addition to that, patients uh, were required to be free from adverse cardiovascular events during the first month after the index PCI. Patients were excluded if they were treated with a stent other than the Ultimaster within six months prior to the index PCI, if they had instant restenosis or stent thrombosis at the index PCI or within six months before, or if they were treated with a bioresorbable scaffold at any time prior to the index procedure. So patients were randomized at 30 to 44 days after the index procedure in a one-to-one ratio to an open-label abbreviated DAPT group, which we'll refer to as the abbreviated group, or the standard DAPT group, which we'll refer to as the standard group. Patients in the abbreviated group had DAPT stop immediately upon randomization and were started on single antiplatelet therapy for the remainder of the study, unless they were also on oral anticoagulation. In that case, would continue single antiplatelet therapy for up to six months after the index procedure. Patients in the standard group continued DAPT for an additional five months for a total of six months. But if they were on an oral anticoagulant, patients would continue DAPT for two additional months for a total of three months of DAPT while on that oral anticoagulant. And then they would continue with dual antithrombotic therapy meaning a single antiplatelet agent and their oral anticoagulant. Their primary outcome was ranked. Their first ranked primary outcome was net adverse clinical events, which included a composite of all-cause death, myocardial infarction, or MI, stroke, or major bleeding. 
Their second ranked primary outcome was major adverse cardiac or cerebral events. This was a composite of death, MI, or stroke. And their third ranked outcome was major or clinically relevant non-major bleeding. Major bleeding was defined as BARC type 3 or 5. 4,579 patients were randomly assigned to the abbreviated or standard groups with the median time from the index PCI to randomization being 34 days. The median duration of DAPT in the abbreviated group was 34 days and 193 days in the standard group. Patients' mean age was 76 years, about 70% were male, about 77% had hypertension, and about a third had diabetes. About 10% were current smokers and 38% previous smokers, and about 19% had had a previous MI. About a quarter of patients had had a previous PCI. Uh, the mean EF was 53%. 36% of patients were on oral anticoagulation at baseline. Of those on oral anticoagulation, 12% were on a vitamin K antagonist, and about 24% were on a direct oral anticoagulant. Their precise DAP score was about 26. About 7% had had a previous bleed. Just under 12% had an index event of a STEMI. 25% NSTEMI, about 11% unstable angina, 11% silent ischemia, about 40% of patients that were, that were included had an index event of stable angina. In the abbreviated group, about 54% of patients were on clopidogrel monotherapy, about 30% of patients were on aspirin, and about 14% of patients were on ticagrelor. In the abbreviated DAP group, it was found that it was non-inferior to the standard DAP group with regards to net adverse clinical events. This occurred at an incidence of 7.5% versus 7.7% in the per-protocol group with a hazard ratio of 0.97 and a 95% confidence interval of 0.78 to 1.2. And for the major adverse cardiac and cerebral event, the incidence occurred at 6.1% in the abbreviated DAP group, 5.9% in the standard group with a hazard ratio of 1.02 a 95% confidence interval of 0.8 to 1.3. And in this case as well, abbreviated DAPT was found to be non-inferior to the standard DAPT group. There was a lower incidence of major or non-major clinically relevant bleeding that was found in patients on abbreviated DAPT versus standard DAPT. And so the incidence that was reported was 6.4% versus 9.2%. And the hazard ratio was reported as 0.68 with a 95% confidence interval of 0.55 to 0.85. Of note, this outcome violated the proportional hazards assumption and was provided for descriptive purposes only. Authors calculated the risk difference using another method that doesn't rely on proportional hazards on the proportional hazards assumption and found the risk difference to be negative 2.82 with a 95% confidence interval of negative 4.4 to negative 1.24. So that is an overview of the master DAP trial. And so Ashley, I think even before diving into the trial, could we take a step back and talk about just where we are, you know, before this trial came out with regards to DAP duration after PCI? Yeah, so this has changed quite a bit over the last several years, ever since the, the introduction of modern PCI, really. So starting out way back with CURE, and establishing that average of nine months of duration, and then Triton going longer up even to 15 months, 
with our Prazogrel therapy. And then as far as, you know, Plato kind of, you know, all in that period establishing, you know, that 12 months of DAPT after PCI, especially for our ACS patients, that that had been established as our, as our standard. Um, but as we know, things have changed, you know, since 20 years ago, lots has changed. So including our DAPT and as we respond to our, our technology, um, including the stent type that is actually being placed during these procedures. So that had been established as the standard, the 12 months. And, and over that time, we got concerned about with our drug eluding stents that we were having late stent thrombosis. And then the question shifted to, should we do longer DAP duration? And now we've you know even changed our sense further now that we're shortening our DAP duration. Um, and a lot of that is based on that, that thrombotic risk and balancing that risk of thrombosis and, and bleeding during the period that people are on therapy. Um, and minimizing the risk of subsequent events. So now that we have stents that seem to endothelialize at a, a better rate, maybe minimizing, especially that late stent thrombosis, that really our DAPT has now started to shift and adjust based on what we've seen in clinical practice. And now we've had subsequent trials even before master DAPT, kind of looking at this concept of, of de-escalating to anywhere from one to three months of therapy. Shifting forward, what are your overall thoughts about the master DAP trial? So I'm looking at, I mean, all the things that have been published with those trials, you know, global, global leaders, stop DAP2, Twilight, now this. This trial, as you as you described, was very complicated. I think they had a lot of different, you know, the different study arms, taking into account oral anticoagulation and the bleeding risk. You know, this study, as, as far as how it incorporates, you know, compared to the others, doesn't really change my thoughts too much as far as what we should be doing with our antithrombotic therapy. I, I, I agree that this trend towards shorter duration uh, really should be the way of the future that, you know, moving away from that cookbook one year of therapy. Yeah. And could you maybe even delve more into, you know, the patient population we see with master DAPT um, and how this compares to some of the other short duration DAPT trials you alluded to? Yes, yeah, so with global leaders and stopped up two, a lot of those patients did tend to um, have more of a stable ischemic presentation that resulted in them receiving PCI. Twilight, um, ACS generally was an indication for inclusion. So those patients were a little bit higher risk. Uh, Master DAP, I think a lot of the patients, at least from an ischemic perspective, still fall more in line with maybe our, our stop DAP2 or global leaders patient population as far as ischemic risk, but also have with this focus on including patients that have had prior bleeding or at, at very high risk, um, which they included a lot of different, I know we didn't describe all of them early on, but besides oral anticoagulation, which we know elevates that risk, age above 75, um, already having anemia, other chronic uh, medication use that's going to increase the risk or including that precise DAP score, um, which we know is a good uh, a tool to distinguish patients, especially at high risk for bleeding, you know, considering for de-escalation. So a lot of that, you know, we kind of elevated some of that baseline bleeding risk, or maybe that hadn't been as well quantified with our previous studies that at least this investigator group really focused on that as well. So this is one thing that I think kind of adds to the group, though I think one important thing to note that about 40% of patients or so were on oral anticoagulation, which included, you know, allowed them to be included in the study. So it's almost like half the study was triple therapy and the other half of the study was patient on standard therapy with this bioresorbable stent. 
So Ashley, I think that's a great segue into my next question. So this study had patients who in the standard group were essentially on triple therapy for three months before switching to dual antithrombotic therapy with an oral anticoagulant and a single antiplatelet agent. Could you talk a little bit more about that and also what your approach is for triple therapy? Yeah, I think probably a lot of people when they initially saw the duration that patients remained on oral anticoagulation, especially not necessarily the standard arm, but the, or the standard arm compared to that shorter duration, that three months, I was like, oh my gosh, that is, that is just so long. So if you're thinking about like when master DAPT was actually done in the course of triple therapy studies and literature, that this study started rolling in early 2017. So at this point in time, we really only had results from WOST um, and ISAR triple, as well as Pioneer AFPCI was just about to be released. Um, and then Redual PCI came out later this year. So really, we didn't have established that, you know, a set duration of DAPT for patients who needed oral anticoagulation. We were still somewhere, especially how Redual structured their comparator arm that for patients still on warfarin, that those patients got one month of triple therapy they got a bare metal stent and three months of triple therapy if they got a drug looting stent. So we hadn't even gotten close to even seeing the results of Augustus yet, where I think a lot of people in practice have really streamlined their triple therapy approach to no more than one month. And for most patients, you know, a week or less, uh, really depending on the patient specific factors. And the authors do, you know, acknowledge that then in their discussion. So they do know that that is, you know, not necessarily standard, but for the time, you know, they were looking at what was, what was standard for these patients. So I think it just kind of reiterates that we do really need to scrutinize duration of therapy for patients on oral anticoagulation, because it really does dramatically increase the risk for bleeding events after a PCI. So I think another question I have is just to kind of get your thoughts on monotherapy with a single antiplatelet agent. So in this study, the majority of patients were on monotherapy with clopidogrel. But my question also is what about, you know, twilight and global leaders and, and how does that play into how we go about choosing monotherapy for a single antiplatelet therapy? Yeah. So I think, you know, kind of looking at what our, our shorter duration DAP trials have been, we've looked at both clopidogrel and ticarolars, our PY12 inhibitor. I think definitely for our stable ischemic patients that seem to have a lower ischemic risk and definitely patients at higher risk for bleeding, I think clopidogrel is still the way to go, in particular, still in patients who need triple therapy. Just as a reminder that, you know, 90 to 95% of patients in those studies receive clopidogrel as their sole antiplatelet agent. So I think master DAP still falls in line with that. I know there's still, you know, obviously a concern, I think, you know, with using clopidogrel monotherapy, you know, our patients possibly non-responders, especially when you don't have aspirin as that antiplatelet support. But I think really looking at our triple therapy studies as well, like that has not really panned out as far as, you know, dramatically increase ischemic events. So I still think ticarolar is still a reasonable option that I think still having one agent really tends to drive that reduction in bleeding. Uh, but we can't make a direct comparison, you know, between the ticarolar and clopidogrel um, just based on the studies alone. I still think it is interesting that like a third of patients still de-escalated to aspirin. That is just an interesting approach. It seems like everything, you know, we're all, you know, de-escalating to what we think is the more potent platelet inhibitor 
which I think a lot of us would agree is a P12 inhibitor. Yeah. And I think uh, another component we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about on this episode is the stent model that was used. And maybe if you could kind of walk us through or talk a little bit about, you know, the newer models of stents that we have and why this may play uh, into duration of death. So with the, the stent that they used in this study, that biodegradable Sirolimus stent or this Terumo um, Oldermaster stent, that stent, um, and kind of looking at the aspects, we don't have this available in the United States, but um, maybe that'll be coming to the market. It is intended over time, about three to four months to uh, fully dissolve um, and be integrated, uh, you know, kind of into the vessel wall compared to our current uh, stents that we have, like our Everolimus or Sorolimus durable polymer stents um, that are tend that stent-like structure still remains um, rather than the, the struts, you know, dissolving as we see with biodegradable stents. Uh, it's kind of interesting these, um, if, if anyone's dug into some of the biodegradable stent technology, that a lot of that has seemed to be at least non-inferior compared to the stents that we have as far as overall like endothelialization, you know, repeat or recurrent events, you know, after placement between the two, uh, but potentially patients at higher ischemic risk that the, may not tend to be the best agents. Um, so that's one thing that's difficult to compare between the patients, you know, in the studies um, and the patients that we might see in our practice in the United States. Granted, a lot of our patient population does tend to be older by the time they have an acute coronary syndrome event or something that's coming into our hospital system. But that stent-like structure still seems to be helpful down the road. So not quite sure, you know, how to incorporate both of these together, but it does make sense if you're trying to potentially minimize that DAP duration that if you don't have that stent structure still based, you know, in the lumen of the, of your coronaries, that maybe there would be a less ri- lower risk for potentially stent thrombosis. But comparing that dissolution time versus when a lot of our endothelialization happens with our current stents, are probably about the same. So is there really an advantage at this point? Probably not. So Ashley, any final thoughts or takeaways for our listeners? Yeah, I think still um, decrease, you know, duration of DAPT, I think is something that we still all struggle with. We recognize it's something important for our patients and identifying who the right patients are to implement this strategy. Uh, For myself, practicing on the inpatient side, you know, taking care of these patients, right after their index PCI, um, you know, we're starting to consider a lot of these risk factors um, and trying to modify the default duration that's spelled out, you know, by our interventionalists or our interventional fellows in the cath lab procedure notes. But on the backside, is it actually happening? I haven't seen it too much. I think we have, this is something that we can make a big impact on, whether it's, you know, minimizing you know, maybe one month is too short for our ACS patients, but maybe that three month mark is appropriate, but at least somewhere in that window, I think reassessing our patients to see, you know, how are they still looking, reassessing their bleeding risks and maybe potentially deescalating therapy. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us on Cardioscripts today. Thank you once again. Thanks for tuning into Cardioscripts. If you've enjoyed the podcast, Please tell your friends and subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Cardioscripts and check out our website at Cardioscripts.com. Thanks for listening.
The views and opinions are those of the individuals on today's episode. The ACCP Cardiology PRN is not responsible for the presented content or its accuracy.